0: John chapter 13, verse 18, as we continue in our eternal word series, and taking from the last line of this section, I have entitled this morning's message, And It Was Night. Read along with me. I am not speaking of all of you, I know whom I have chosen. But the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and testified truly truly i say to you one of you will betray me the disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke one of his disciples whom jesus loved was reclining at table at jesus side so simon peter motioned to him to ask jesus of whom he was speaking so that disciple leaning back against jesus said to him lord Because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Father, we love you this morning. We submit to your most holy word. I pray for your help. Speak to us as only you can, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. It's uh, painful to love someone and not have that love returned. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you poured out your heart, you poured out your love, and it was not reciprocated? That is a very painful place to be, to, to love someone, to trust someone And to have that person turn on you. Has anyone ever known betrayal in their life? The betrayal of trust. That's hurtful, is it not? It's one of life's most emotionally painful experiences. And I think it goes not just to pain, but also to hurt. So I know that Jesus became troubled in spirit. Our text says he was troubled in spirit literally there was a personal hurt that Judas would reject him would reject this offer of love friendship and ultimately salvation but there was also a pain for Judas Jesus was troubled in spirit he just he didn't only have personal hurt he also had pain for Judas because Jesus said in John 8 and verse 12, one of his I am statements, I am the light of the world. And here we see Jesus is walking away from the very light of the world. And he's about to walk into utter darkness. And so our text closes with with this sad statement, and it was night. So let's set the scene. Because you've probably seen the painting by Da Vinci, right? Of the Last Supper. And that's not what it looked like. So we know that in that culture, in that time, it would have been a low table. Probably U-shaped. And they would not sit in chairs. They were reclining. They were reclining uh, at the table uh, with John the beloved disciple who has pinned this gospel, John is to Jesus' right. So it would, he would lean back to speak to Jesus, whereas Judas was on Jesus' left. And that, we know, was the place of honor at a meal such as this. So, Jesus had strategically placed this person who he knew that he was troubled about so deeply, he had strategically placed him at the place of honor, at the place of love and respect. So, John's on the left and Judas is on, or John's on the right and Judas is on the left, and Peter was probably directly across from. John, where he could whisper to him, hey, find out who he's talking about. So that, that's kind of the scene as we come to our text this morning. What a sad story, is it not? And we see so much in it. There's three things, three themes that I see emerging in our text this morning. First, is this. That, Jesus's betra- that Judas's betrayal of Jesus is going to demonstrate the unshakable commission that you, and I, that you and I have, believers, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we're going to see that Judas' betrayal of Jesus will demonstrate the depths of the glory of both Christ and God. And lastly, we'll finish out By looking at the fact that Judas' betrayal of Jesus is going to demonstrate the absolute wickedness of sinful man. So let's dive into it. First of all, how does it demonstrate the unshakable commission to be ambassadors of Christ? Look with me again at verse 20. So in verse 20, it starts off, Truly, truly. So truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So what is this verse all about? Verse 20. Why is verse 20 there? Jesus has just washed the feet of his disciples, as Pastor Matt taught us last week. But now... Here he's talking about why is this even here? Why is he talking about the fact that whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me? What's it there for? Well, we know that those men, those 12 that were sitting around that table, reclining at that table, they had been commissioned. They had been called. You remember, Jesus showed up and he he pulled a lot of them right out of the fishing boats right there on the shore and he said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. So he had commissioned them. He had called them. But not only that, we saw that later on in the discipleship process, he had sent them out two by two. He had given them authority. And they went out proclaiming the gospel. They went out proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And he gave them power. So they were called. They were commissioned. And he says, truly, truly. That means I'm saying this with firmness. It's emphatic. Truly, truly, it's a declaration. When Jesus makes a declaration, we ought to listen. And there's actually three declarations in this chapter alone. So he says, truly, truly, the person who receives who I send receives me. That's powerful. When God sends us and that person receives Christ or receives us, they're receiving him. That's pretty powerful. That's us. When they receive Christ, they receive the one who sent him, the Father. So he's reminding them of that commission. The Father sent Christ, Christ sends believers, and those who receive us, it's not like It matters that they receive me, but receive the message that I've been entrusted with. They receive the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. When they receive us, they receive him and they receive the Father. So there is an unshakable commission for the believer in Jesus Christ. Now, why would he put that here? Because there is about to be a tremendous break or or schism in the or rupture in the unity of the twelve he had called twelve these twelve had been walking together for three and a half years. You get really close to someone when you live in close quarters with them for that long, and that is about to be ruptured a betrayal not just of Jesus but think about what it felt to the other disciples to have. One of their own betray the Lord. So it was a it was a universal or or a, a betrayal of that tight knit group. And when that happens, the call still stands. See, when things don't go like we want them to go, the commission still stands. We're called, we're commissioned. To do the work of the gospel. So to the disciples, Jesus is saying, you have a commission. And he's going to give them a new commandment soon once Judas exits the room. And that is to love each other. So we have a commission to love each other, Living Word Church. We are commissioned to love each other. We are commissioned, as he showed us, by getting on his knees with a towel and washing his feet, we are commissioned to humble ourselves and serve one another. To wash some feet. You may not like feet, but we need to wash some feet. It's our commission. So he's saying, quit arguing about Who is the most important? Quit arguing about who's on the left and who's on the right. Quit arguing about all of that and know this. The Father sent me and I send you. That's the commission. It's unshakable. He says to you and I, love one another. Humble and serve. Humble ourselves and serve one another. Look at John 20 and verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So he reminds them again after his resurrection as we, we uh, just kind of like jumping forward to John 20 that the Father has sent him and I am sending you. The commission stands. Matthew 28 and verse 16 through verse 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. This is what we are called to, to make disciples, to preach the gospel. And when things don't go right, When it seems like things are falling apart, the commission stands. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18 to verse 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is our commission. And it stands today, even as it stood for those reclining at table with Jesus. We are agents of Christ. The commission stands. Amen? All right, so we see through Judas' betrayal of Jesus that the commission stands. And let's look at the next point, that this betrayal of Jesus by Judas demonstrates the depths of the glory of God. Now, we're all about exalting Christ, bringing glory to Almighty God, right? So we're going to see five sides to the glory of Christ in this context and how God shines so much in this text. So first, we see God's glory in His choice of Judas, Think about that. The disciples are human, just like you and I are human. Sometimes we get detached from the humanity of the Bible. But it's a book for humans. Of like passion as you and I. So these disciples are human, and they might have scratched their head at some point and say, why did he even pick that guy? Did he, boy, he missed that one, didn't he? So we know that uh, looking in the gospel of Luke, before Jesus chose these guys, he spent the night in prayer. Did he fail to hear from the Father? Absolutely not. But Jesus spent the night in prayer and then he chose those disciples. Look at uh, John 6, verse 70 and verse 71. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you? The twelve, and yet one of you is a devil. Wow. He knew exactly what he was doing. I chose you, I chose the twelve, yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Nothing caught him off guard. Jesus knew. And he said in our our text this morning that the scripture will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. It's the center of this plan and the center of everything that is unfolding from here on out and before here on out is our salvation. So Jesus picked a man who ultimately would break his heart Betray him and lead to his arrest and ultimately his death by crucifixion. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And it's important for us to realize that he is above us. Maybe you have been betrayed. Maybe you have been betrayed to a greater purpose. So hang on that. And God loves us. and God has called us and the commission stands and though we're betrayed and we don't understand, there's a greater purpose at work. That's glory. So we see this glory and the fact that Jesus even chose Judas. The second thing we see is the innocence of Christ. We see the the glory of God in the innocence of Christ. So look at verse 18 once again. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. So we know, like this. What's this heel talk? What's this heel talk? We can go all the way back to Genesis three and fifteen, where it says that uh, when God was speaking to the serpent, he and he was speaking of the coming seed of the woman. He said, "He will crush or bruise your heel, but you serpent, or." or he will crush your head, but you're only going to bruise the heel. So Judas speaks to the innocence of Jesus. He actually will proclaim Jesus to be morally pure, without spot or blemish. We see in Matthew 27, verse 3, This is after the fact. When when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. It was a little late. When he saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And watch what he said. He said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. We see the glory of God that Jesus was perfect and spotless for three plus years. He had walked with these disciples for three plus years and Judas couldn't find one reason to justify his deed, his treachery, not one reason. In John 8 and 46... Which one of you convicts me of sin? So Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees who were always coming against him. And he says, which one of you can convict me of sin? Which one? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? There was nothing to find. Can you imagine that? If you can accuse me, let's hear it. You got anything? Bring it, bring it. But no one could. Could you imagine a person who had never sinned, not once. Can you go through a day without sinning? When I reflect on my day, I need to, I need to get on my knees and repent. But Jesus had never done one thing, one, had never thought one thing that was sinful. A, a lamb without spot or blemish, that is glory. Amen? And so the third thing we see is that his deity and humanity are simultaneously displayed. So if we look in verse 19 again, in verse 19, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. That takes a little bit of divinity to be able to say, like, hey, I'm telling you what's going to happen before it happens. That's God. So we see his deity in that proclamation, but then as we look uh, at verse 21, we also see Jesus' humanity. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. He was troubled in his spirit. That's deep sorrow. Deep sorrow. Look at John 10, verse 18. Jesus is speaking about his life here and he says no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again this charge I have received from my father he has authority this is his deity on display he is in total sovereign control Judas can do nothing without his approval so There's there's kind of this, uh, this paradox here because we see him as God, but we also see his humanity and how deeply troubled he is. He knows what's going to happen, but yet he's still troubled about it. Jesus experiences real emotions, real emotions. He knows what it is to be angry. He knows what it is to feel hurt. He knows what it is to have pain. He knows what it is to be like us. He's all God. And He became man. Hebrews 5 and 7, it says, In the days of His flesh, When Jesus put on this type of body, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. That is the humanity of our Savior, Jesus. So we see that he's fully God and he's fully man. That's glory, right? And then next we see God's glory in His troubled spirit. So once again, in verse twenty, truly, truly I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And and then he said, after these things, Jesus was troubled in His spirit, and He testified. The second, truly, truly, in just this little section, truly, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. In his deep sorrow, he testifies. That's a declaration. It's so important. This word is so unique. If you look at uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that word is used three times. But yet in the gospel of John, truly, truly, this declaration is used 33 times. Because that's what John, John is full of declaration after declaration after declaration. I am, I am, I am truly, truly emphatic, a declaration. We see it also in verse 16 of our text. Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. So he's troubled And he testifies such agony for us. Look at Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So we may experience the same thing. We may find ourselves troubled deeply in spirit. And in that trouble, he gives this declaration. That's glory. And lastly, we see the glory of God in this betrayal of Jesus by Judas in Jesus' patience and His love. Look at verse 23. One of His disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. Look at verse 25. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to Him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is He to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So here's Judas at the place of honor. This is patience and love at this place of honor. And now to just add to that, so we know that this little morsel of bread would be dipped into this like fruity concoction like you know apple butter or strawberry preserves, and he would dip that bread in there, and then he offers he offers it to judas this is a a, a gesture of love and patience and forgiveness he's giving Judas opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and he didn't he didn 't reveal who it was, except for to John. It's a divine mystery that he genuinely loved him and offered salvation to him right up until the end, yet he knew that he would betray him. And we saw that in Hebrews 12, 1 and 3, that he endured such contradiction of sinners or hostility against himself. Man, if that would have been us, we would have been like, he's going to betray you? I read the Old Testament, man. Let the ground open up and swallow him. Right? Like I could think of all kind of things. Zap that scoundrel, Lord. Open up a pit. But no, he's so patient and full of love. In Second Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That is glory. That is glory. So we see this uh, portrayal or demonstration of the depths of the glory of God, even in the betrayal of Jesus, Jesus by Judas. And lastly, the commission stands We see this immense glory. And next we see that Judas' betrayal of Jesus demonstrates the absolute wickedness of sinful man. So we see the wickedness of sinful man first. Might get a little uncomfortable. We see it in our very nature. We see it in our very nature. I remember I was sitting in a class with a professor at Nichols, in my grad studies, and she made a statement that caused me to just bite my tongue. And she said, if anyone here doesn't believe that man is good, he needs to find another profession. But that sounds really good, and maybe you believe that, but I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, and maybe others that are skeptics, Seekers that are looking for an answer this morning, there's nothing good in us. There's nothing good in us. In verse 18, once again, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. We are heel lifters. We lift our heels against one another. In verse 27, Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. And the ultimate result Verse 30, and it was night. Don't be so quick to throw stones at Judas. We are capable of the same treachery apart from the grace of our Lord. We were enemies until he saved us. Think of what Judas had witnessed. Now let's get real. Think of what Judas had witnessed. He was able to sit at the feet of the greatest teacher who has ever lived. He was able to sit and listen intimately and be discipled by the word made flesh. He had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. Water turned to wine. Demons cast out. People that never should have been healed, healed. The blind, seeing once again, the lame, walking again. He had seen all of these things. He had seen Jesus speak to a storm and the storm chill out. He had seen him uh, walk on water. He had seen him raise the dead. And he'd never seen a hint of sin In this man, yet sitting at the table in his back pocket were 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Psalms 51. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That doesn't mean my mother committed sin. It just means that from the time I was brought forth, I was a scoundrel. I started manipulating and lying and sinning from the moment I took my first breath. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We need more than good examples to be saved. Judas had the best, but yet he was still dead in his trespasses and sins. In Romans 3 and 23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the second thing we see is this wickedness of sinful man in the solemn warning of the Word of God. So we know that religious people are blind to the need for Christ. That's probably the hardest to get the gospel to. These religious people, they walk the religious walk. They talk the religious talk. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof Paul said I am a Hebrew. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, of Pharisees, of Pharisees, and he says, I count all of that dung, rubbish, garbage, self righteousness. And Jesus would say to Nicodemus, and I would say to you, you must be born again. John 3 and 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. That was Judas. In Matthew 26 and verse 20, we look at the account from Matthew's perspective. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of Him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray Him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. So he could even lie with the money in his back pocket. So we see the wickedness of sinful man also, In the fact that there are hypocrites in the the midst of Christ. Christianity is crazy, man. I'm not going to believe that stuff. Look at all the hypocrites in the church. There's hypocrites everywhere. There's hypocrites in Congress. There's hypocrites at school. There's hypocrites in your neighborhood. There's hypocrites in the world. Many might not accept that identity, but we all have been hypocritical. Born again Peter was a hypocrite when he walked away from the Gentiles to eat with the Jews. And Judas Judas just blended in. And Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And everyone there said, is it me? Nobody suspected Judas. They suspected themselves. Is it me? And Judas left, and they still had no clue. Judas played his hypocrite role perfectly. But God looks on the heart. Matthew 13 verse 24, he put another parable before them, saying, "The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field." But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, "Master, didn't you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds?" the wickedness of sinful man, that there's going to be hypocrites in the midst. And next we see the wickedness of man in sin, in in these inner motives. Why did Judas decide to follow Jesus, ask yourself? Why did he sign up to be a fisher of men? Was it maybe for a political movement? For power? Probably not. I mean, we've got these guys, James and John. Jesus called them the sons of thunder. They wanted power. They wanted to be on his right and on his left. But what about Simon? Look at Matthew 26 and verse 14. Then one of the 12, or I'm sorry, Matthew 20, verse 26 through 28. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what are the motives? Greed? What can I get? Look at Matthew 26 and 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. He was a thief. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do we follow Jesus? What are our motives? What happens when the comfort and ease that we expect doesn't come? Serving Jesus is about taking up a cross and it may be very uncomfortable. So we see the wickedness of sinful man in inner motives. And lastly, we see the wickedness of sinful man in those who refuse him. We see in verse 30, so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Judas had his feet washed by the Son of God Jesus had offered love and opportunity after opportunity for repentance until the very end, and Judas refused. And John begins by saying, He came to his own, and his own received him not. Ultimately, Judas made the choice to walk away from the Lamb of God. And in John 1 and 5, in the midst of of this weighty statement that as he walks out the room, it was night, is the truth that the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And we close in Revelations 22, in verse 5, bringing out two of the verses that Pastor Matt read earlier in response to, it was night and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light. And I would say to you, if you're not sure where you stand with Jesus this morning, if you have not come to Him and made Him the Lord of your life, this morning the Spirit And the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price.